Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your hosts, Alora and Kitty. And welcome back to season four. Today marks the beginning of a multi-part series, which will span over the next two seasons of the podcast, aimed at exploring pagan ancestors from around the world. First up, the Druids. Shrouded in mystery, even scholars have uncovered little true information about the OG shamanic wizards of the pre-Christian Celtic world. But if you're like us and you love trying to solve a good mystery, grab a cuppa and your notebook as we unearth the secret lives of the Druids. Hey, Kitty. Hey, hey. All right. So before we get going, mm-hmm. your practice. So we know that you have Celt- like a lot of Celtic background. Yes. Do you think that you incorporate Druidry into your personal witchcraft practice? Well, first, I would like to say that that intro was really exciting. I just wanted to tell you that and commend <laughs> you for that. <laughs> The whole shrouded in mystery. I like, I had this whole image in my mind. It was pretty cool. Yay. As far as uh, practicing Druidry, I've done a lot of reading on it, like modern Druid Druidry practices. And I understand. And I would say I work in more of just a broad Celtic pagan outlook into my practice. Mm. I don't want to say that I practice Druidry because I don't, I haven't studied it, like the modern version of it, which I think we're going to talk about later, right? In the episode. Right. Yes. I'm pretty sure. I think that if you are interested in Celtic paganism, or if you try to incorporate Celtic paganism into your practice, you are sort of incorporating Druidry too, because obviously Druids were Celtic. So there's some overlap there, I would assume. Yes, I think so. Well, what about you? Uh, okay, so I haven't studied Druidry either. Um, I know where to go to do that. Right, I just yeah, same here, yeah. I, now, some of their, some Druidic practices, yes. Yeah. Uh, but not, like, as a whole system. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. And I've actually considered going about that path, which again, we're going to talk about later, but really, I keep looking at it and I'm like, "Mm." me too, me too. Same thing. I I go back to it and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And then I'm like, no, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe this will spark us to actually do it. Yeah. Okay. So what do we know about the Druids, about our pagan ancestors, the Druids? Okay, so the short answer to that question is not a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the historical accounts that we have were written by non-Druids. Mm. So, okay, the Druids eventually became a conquered people in 60 AD when the Roman governor of England, Suetonius, attacked the heartland of the Druids, the island of 
Anglesey. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm saying that right. Hoping that any survivors would die out. And his plan for the most part was successful, except for a few hidden sacred places. So knowing this, it's difficult to believe any account of the Druids to be 100% accurate since the conquerors are the ones that have recorded the history, right? So it's that old saying, like, whoever, you know, whoever the victors are, are the ones that get to paint the narrative. I have a question about that. So attacking the heartland of the Druids on the island of Anglesey. I guess my question is, does that mean that like they had already kind of died out in other places and this was like the last known place that they were residing kind of a thing? At that point, I believe so. Like they they had been driven out of most places at that point. And this was their like last stronghold or something. Right. Yeah. At least that's the way I understand it. Yeah. Interesting. Julius Caesar, Cicero, Siculus, and Strabo are among the most notable Romans to have recorded their observations and opinions on the Druids. Mm -hmm. Most of what we know comes from their writings, along with historical and anthropological scholarship based on archaeological evidence. There's also a big divide among scholars as to how old the Druids are. Right. Uh, Because some say that they date as far back as... 2600 to 2000 BCE. Right. So those scholars believe that they built stone monuments like Stonehenge, while others say there's no way that they could have because they weren't even there yet. Right. That makes sense. So 1400 BCE. I've I've read a little bit on the Stonehenge, well, quite a bit on Stonehenge. And yeah, a lot of the sources say that it wasn't the Druids that that built it. So yeah, that's interesting. Which this is like part of the mystery that's really fascinating because 1400 BCE is when the last building of a stone monument is recorded. Mm. So there is a 900 year gap between the last stone circle being built and the arrival of the Celts, which is recorded to be between 600 and 500 BCE. Oh, okay. So because so, the Druids were the priests of the Celts, uh-huh. this is what they're basing that off of. Interesting. Okay. But, but then this is where it gets even better. But mm-hmm. then <laughs> the academics started to realize that the formation of ancient Celtic societies was much more complex than they originally thought. Right. Uh, and so then they started to posit that if they were indeed the builders of these stone monuments like Stonehenge, they absolutely could have existed prior to their arrival of the Celts. So meaning they were outside of the Celtic society and a society all on their own before the Celts even arrived. Hmm. So then the big question really becomes if they weren't Celtic, well, who were they really then? Right. See, gets a little... Yeah. And I mean, I think too, there's a lot of like when we're talking about the Celtic people or the Germanic people or the, you know, all those labels that we create, we have created for these people in these regions at specific times, it kind of gets a little, I don't want to say confusing, but complex because 
really these are these were a lot of the people were a lot different from each other right they were living in I don't want to say tribes but like nations or groups of people at one point and so what was it the Romans that just said oh yeah like all these people are Celts right but right I wonder I wonder if the Celts themselves being from different groups and, and nations even considered themselves all Celts do you know what I mean it's the same no, with the yeah. Germanic people. I know exactly That's what you mean. And this is where the term tribe mm-hmm. actually first gets placed on people because right. the Romans start saying like tribe as in a derogatory term, like right. these primal, disgusting, unclean. Barbarians. and Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And to make it even more complicated, there's also a cave uh, that has been discovered, which shows Druidic belief as far back as 25,000 years ago. Uh, and this is from the, uh, a website, The History Behind Ireland, Ancient Druids. But to quote them, the earliest evidence of the Druid spiritual tradition is from 25,000 years ago and is found in caves in Europe, such as the Pinhole Caves in Derbyshire in England, the Chavot or Lascaux caves in France mm-hmm. and the Altamira in Spain, which feature paintings of wild animals on their walls. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Candidates for initiation would crawl into the caves to be reborn into the light of day. This theme of death and rebirth remains a continuing thread in the spiritual practice of Druidry throughout the centuries. But I'm going to back up a little bit to the cave paintings. Right. I also stu- I studied the Lascaux caves uh, at uni and <laughs> let me place a different spin on it. One of the reasons why this is thought to be the case is because there have been cave paintings found where it has been half man, half beast, right? Like the painting itself. Mm-hmm. And so the thought of that is, is like it, this is the be- very beginning of sympathetic magic where these people are trying to elicit these animal characteristics in themselves through the painting of themselves as the animal. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that makes sense to me. And I've read a little bit about the Lascaux, Lascaux, Lascaux. How do you say it? Lascaux. Lascaux thing. Oh my gosh. Lascaux caves. You know, the third (laughs) way to say it, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we should like cut out the bloopers of all the things that we say differently or just make a B real. Yeah. Okay. So I have read a little bit about the cave, the caves, and I've looked at the the pictures of the cave art. Cause I've always found that really fascinating. Mm. I think I, but I had not seen where they were showing, you know, paintings of a human dressed as an animal or like half human, half animal thing. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. They're, so you say they're doing that like as a symp- sympathetic magic form to like get in the mind of that beast so that they can hunt it better yeah so but it's just it's theories right there are several theories as to why that could be but one of them is this particular thing that it was the beginnings of sympathetic magic to mm-hmm. shamanic journey into the was, mind of mm-hmm. animal or yeah. to create a link between themselves and an animal to try to think like that animal uh so and and were these people druids that were drawing these paintings? I mean, uh, we don't they, know. They could have just they? been like shaman. I mean, where where do we draw the line between early shaman and then like 
Celtic priesthood, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Interesting. So can you tell us, because maybe first, if no one's ever heard of Druids, how would you tell someone what a Druid was or might have been? The Celtic word Druid roughly translated means oak knower. There's, well, originally it was thought that it was the cult of the oak, but then later interpretations say that it it meant m- more oracle as well. So mm-hmm. then it, it became oak knower. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is no denying that they were people of magic, but they also held positions of esteem, such as teachers, doctors, priests, judges, and the right hands to kings during this time period. Right. So way back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> that that's a time period. Just most so everybody people, most people when they think of druids though, they think mainly your mind goes right to like high priests. Right? right. But but they're more than that, you're saying. Yes. They were more than that. They were highly educated and their novitiate status, so novice status took 19 years to get through. Okay. Wow. So this isn't, you don't just, you know, join the Druids to like like a a year and a day. Like, no, like this was serious commitment. Right. So they lived on the British Isles in Gaul, but cannot be ruled out to live anywhere that the Celts lived. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for anybody that doesn't know the Celtic world is actually pretty vast. Right. And covers a lot of Europe. <laughs> yeah, even Northern Italy. Right. Mm-hmm. People, people first, don't realize all the way to Turkey, right? Like I think it spread all across the continent, all the way to Turkey at one point. Right, correct. And But based on history and anthropology and all of that, I think that people have been conditioned to automatically think Ireland. Yeah. When definitely. they think Celts, but... But the truth is, is that Celtic peoples were spread all across Europe, all the way to like the Eastern European border, I would say. Yep. They're in Germany, France, Netherlands, all that. Yep. So the first writings about the Druids come from Julius Caesar around 40 to 50 BCE. This place is the first written accounts of the Druids 2,400 years ago and lasting until 1,200 years ago when it was uh, they were disbanded, attacked, and re- replaced with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Many historians believe the Druids to predate the Celtic priesthood, but when Druidism actually began is anyone's guess. Interestingly, they were excused from military service in a literal sense, but did serve as strategist advisors. I have a question, and if if uh, I think that you might be able to answer this, but if not, we can cut this part out. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So the question is, you said historians believe the Druids to predate the Celtic priesthood. I guess where I get confused is I thought that Druids were the Celtic priesthood. So you're saying there was Celtic priesthood after that? Are you referring to Christian priesthood at that point? Yes. The Druids were Celtic priests, but this is what I was saying before. When they started figuring out that Celtic people, mm-hmm. like the, the society was far more complex than just, okay, these are the Celtic people um, right. and they live here. And so when they discovered all of that and when, you know, they were positing like, 
okay, that, well, they could have built these stone circles, et cetera, et cetera. What they're saying is they could have existed there before the Celts even came okay. and before they served as Celtic priests. Does that make sense? Because, okay. because one theory is, is that the Druids came, are part of the Celtic people. Right. Then there's another theory that says, no, they're separate oh. from the Celtic people. Okay. Yes. Got you. Okay. I'm with you now. It does get a little complex. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. Totally get it. And plus, I'm probably sure people listening are like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I feel confusing. like we're talking about a couple different theories. Like we are. Times, so it, it gets a little hairy, I think. <laughs> mm. It gets confusing. That's okay. okay. Let's press on. What did these elusive, mysterious Druids believe? Druidic theology and or philosophy, again, somewhat of a mystery. We know from Caesar's writings that Druids taught their hymns in secret, and it was forbidden for them to be written down. So we have no written records from the Druids at all, because it was all oral. (laughs) That is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's that's why it's hard to know exactly what their practices were. Right. All we have right. to go on are what the Romans have told us that their practices yeah. were. Yep. It is likely that the Druids believed in some form of reincarnation, since Caesar, Siculus, and Lucan, a Roman poet, all mentioned Druidic belief in reincarnation in differing forms. So some aligned it with the Pythagorean theory of metempsychosis where the soul can inhabit either a human or animal body mm-hmm. while others understood it to be more like soul migration. The ancient Druids believed in polytheism as their belief in multiple gods and goddesses was observed by the Romans. And they certainly believed in divination and magic. Mm-hmm. Though the classicist wrote at length about the Druids knowledge in science, astronomy, natural philosophy, and their values and morality, we don't know exactly what systems they had or taught. So we know that they had all these things, but we just don't know what they were. Right. We do know that they knew enough astronomy, astrology, both of those, to create a calendar and held their own mythos regarding the natural world and enough material to keep their novitiates in school for almost 20 years. Yeah. So they knew a lot. For sure. And you know what? I'm just going to deviate here for a second. Not only did they know a lot, but this kind of gives us a clue as to the fact that, and this is something in modern witchcraft practice that just is a little bit of an irritation for me. (laughs) You cannot, like, you cannot know something (laughs) in like, you know, you've seen those um, ads on Facebook. That's like, get your witchcraft degree and 30 days for $24.99. And you're like, what? Oh no. Whatever uh, disciplines of metaphysics, whatever they were teaching had to be some intense stuff and had to be stuff that had to be engaged with multiple times before gaining like uh, an understanding or a mastery to it. And I would think too, and I'm not saying that this applies today, but I'm just going to say it that people were chosen for these roles or they were called to these roles. It wasn't just like anybody was a Druid. 
right? Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's the next thing that I'm going to say is oh, committing to the life of the Druid was not something that you just decided to do mm-hmm. because you're, you're basically giving up the next 20 years of your life. Right. And more, right. Cause that's just, yeah, the, and more. that's just the, that's the pregame. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you think about it, like, let's just think about it for a sec. If you go back to those days, right. In the lifespan of people, you're talking about these Druids were probably entering into the Druidic order around 14, 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And so by the time their 20 year novitiate was over, they're reaching death. (laughs) Yeah. So basically you're giving up your entire life. Yeah. I mean, I feel that it's the same way when you claim the title, which it's a lifelong commitment and even then some, I think that we are magical individuals throughout multiple lifetimes. That's just my opinion, but yes, I'm right there with you. So yeah. Agreed. I, just it. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. So I said, get out of here right now. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Spirit Nest. Spirit Nest is a warm nest for free-spirited individuals from all paths of spiritual practice, walks of life, and lifestyles. Pagans, Wiccans, witches, hippies, moon children, crystal lovers, healers, empaths, and the list goes on. Spirit Nest offers a wide selection of enchanted, high-quality, natural, and affordable beauty and skincare lines altar provisions alongside original artwork, printed on clothing, home decor items, in addition to hand-picked quality lifestyle items. Visit spiritnest.com and don't forget to enter Oracle 10 upon checkout for a 10% discount on your witchy favorites. back to the show. Let's ask the question that everyone is probably wondering, because this is something that is often portrayed of druids in movies and in books, including, I think in one of Anne Rice's books, one of part of the vampire series, mm. did the druids actually engage in human sacrifice? So the quick answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has been disputed. Okay. So Let me back up before Mm -hmm. I get into this. So there were Druids, Ovates, and Bards Yeah, back in in those days. I think they were all part of an order. Yes. uh, Yes. Even back then. Mm -hmm. But it's been disputed that the Vates, because that's what the Ovates were called back then, were the actual people who carried out the killing. But it has been noted by three different writers that in religious affairs, the Druids were supreme since they alone knew the gods and divinities of heaven. They superintended and arranged all rites and attended to public and private sacrifices. 
and no sacrifice was complete without the intervention of a druid. So while the Vates may have been the ones doing the actual killing, they couldn't do that without a druid present or without their like blessing. It sounds like. Hmm. I think, and you'll probably get into this. I don't know, but let's just remember (laughs) too, that human sacrifice was a very common thing across the board for many cultures. So to just paint the Druids out to be like these terrible, (gasps) they sacrifice humans. Yeah. Like most of the cultures back then were doing that still. (laughs) Yeah. Most of the ancient world from the Aztecs and Mayans to the Vikings to right. Yeah. To pretty much everyone. So So just to put it into perspective, right? Yes, correct. We're not saying it's okay, but we're just saying that they weren't the only ones doing it. (laughs) We're just saying that at this time in human history, this was normal. (laughs) Right. It is also from these accounts that we know that Druids also perform divination via the dead body to predict future events. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting to note is that archaeologists believe bog mummies to be largely associated with druidic sacrifice. Ooh, we should do a whole episode on bog mummies. <laughs> we could. I think they're fascinating. And they're the bog butter. Have you have you ever heard the bog butter? Yes. <laughs> cool. Okay. But okay, but I have more on this. So even okay. more interesting. They actually posit in a Nova episode titled Ghosts of Murdered Kings about the bog mummies that the sacrifices made to the bogs were men of wealth and nobility based on their stomach contents, clothing, and jewelry. Hmm. So if this is all correct, it would mean that even kings did not overrule the Druids and became sacrifices, either voluntarily or forced, if their lands were failing to yield a sustainable harvest or their people were suffering because they're making poor decisions. Oh, that happened in some of the ancient Norse and Swedish like cultures too. Yeah. So basically like, this is like the Catholic church before the Catholic church was the Catholic church. I know. (laughs) I was just thinking, I had this image in my mind of like this Druid priest, like walking around going, and now you die next. And like (laughs) the king's like, okay, if I have to. Uh, But I would (laughs) think serious power, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Like I said, it means that kings, like if this is true, if if these bog mummies are men of wealth and nobility, it means that kings did not overrule the Druids. Right. So to say that they were people of power is an understatement. Yeah. It's like the it's like in the different medieval shows and movies where the right hand of the mm. king is basically calling all the shots. <laughs> And something else I just want to point out quickly, because when we think about kings, I think that most people think about like the king of England, the king of France, the king of whatever, you know, you pick a country. King of America. Right. But back (laughs) then, kings were like king of a city. Right. You know what I mean? Like there were a lot of them. Yeah. It wasn't like you got a huge, you were the king of a huge chunk of land. Right. Most, most, you were king of your little area. <laughs> you were king of the acres. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interestingly too, the legend of the wicker man comes from Caesar's reports of sacrifice made by the Druids by building a giant human figure out of twigs and then stuffing it with live creatures, including humans and burning it to the ground. Pliny 
I think that's how you say his name, even went so far as to assert that the Druids were cannibals who ate the flesh of their enemies. But remember what we talked about before, like the victors wrote the Druid story. And many of these claims may have just been anti-Druid propaganda since we have no archaeological evidence to support this. I agree. But I do find it funny that there are Wicker Man festivals still to this day. And what what's the other one out west? Burning Man? Kind of <laughs> That's it, a music it, festival. <laughs> I know, but it but they burn an eff like a, a large effigy. Yes, but they don't okay, let's just before we ruin a music festival for everyone, they don't stuff it with creatures. No, no, no. What I'm saying is the the symbolism of it has continued yeah. to this day. There's still a Wicker Man festival. It's either in Scotland or England. They're not burning people, but they're burning a large wooden man. <laughs> like, yeah. Clearly the symbolism is there. No, we're not sacrificing people, but for some reason, like we still do that, you know, cause it's fun or it, you know, it's at a music festival or whatever. Like, yeah, well, look, I think that the wicker man is probably true as far as the creatures being stuffed inside that part. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That seems a little, and like being cannibals, like pretty far-fetched. Yeah. That's a little bit, I mean, who, like, we don't know, but at the same time, Again, the Romans, no offense to anyone who's Roman descent, but the Romans pretty much hated everyone uh, because they were trying to conquer everyone. So yeah, they're going to make the Druids out to sound like these extremely barbaric people. <laughs> well, that term barbarian actually comes from that time too. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, sorry. I, let me clear that up. I wasn't saying that Burning Man is is a festival out west where we sacrifice people. What <laughs> I meant was the symbolism of it. Yes, and it's got it. Kind of a mirroring like ritual of the Wicker Man, just without the sacrifice part. <laughs> right. Correct. Okay. Moving on to okay. brighter topics. <laughs> Were there female druids yes there were and i know this probably comes as a shock to a lot of people but actually you know thinking about it as somebody who's studied history surprisingly there were a lot of egalitarian societies back then right so commonly referred to as druidess females could and did fulfill the same roles as their male counterparts in mm. fact, many were warriors and strategists. One way that they differed from Druids, male Druids, is in their use of divination. Typically, Druidesses served the role of the diviner more so than the male Druid when it came to oracular functions. Mm. So once again, women is the ones <laughs> that get all the info yeah. and the men get all the glory. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, typical. Sorry, guys. Uh, that was, that's just, it's just a joke, people. Just a joke. <laughs> um, okay. So druidic divinatory practices were well known for their prophecy, dreaming, augury, omens, reading of livestock, shoulder blades, not joking. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. 
casting lots, which means throwing a group of sticks or bones or stones and reading the pattern and scrying. So these were all practices that the druidesses (laughs) were proficient in. So it's kind of interesting. So like any egalitarian societies, one, you know, male and female, not one is better than the other. They're both equally important, but they both serve the, the same role in different aspects. And I think that's what we're seeing here. I think that there was actually a, a druidess that trained, as far as uh, Irish Celtic legend goes, she trained the legendary hero Cúhulín. Ooh. So he is sent away to be trained as a warrior. And she is actually the one that trains him That's in the cool. art of combat. So it's kind of cool. And it fits in with the description, you know, the female Druid. <laughs> Druidess says, Druidess says, yeah. That's, that's difficult <laughs> to say. It is. Druidesses, Druidesses. <laughs> Here's another good question for you. And one that we were kind of touching on a bit earlier are there druids today yes but without the human sacrifice so holla (laughs) Uh, (laughs) probably the most well-known neo-druidic organization is the order of the bards ovates and druids Mm -hmm. it was founded in britain in the 1960s and has over 20,000 members today awesome they are international and exist in over six languages with over 200 in-person groups around the world If you are like, if you're listening to this and you're super interested and you want to know more about neo-druidic practice and membership into the OBOD, check out their website. Um, Like seriously, you can just Google order of bards of Vates and Druids and it'll come right up. Yeah. There is also an organization known as the Druid Network that is not a druidic order, but seeks to connect neo-druids around the world. Um, and disseminate information about the practice of neo-Druidry. So you can check out the Druid Network as well, just by Googling. Oh, okay. I'd never heard of that. I, the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids is the one that I've been, you were probably been looking at that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because they're the ones that have like the actual training stuff. Right, right. I, I almost did it last year and then I didn't. And I look, I don't know, maybe I'll do it this year. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely we interested. Should, we should discuss because we could do that together and be steady buddies. How long is it again? I forget. Do you remember is it like a year long or something? I don't know. Yeah. But it's also like at your own pace, I think. Oh, okay. I don't think that it's I have to look back into it. But. Yeah, I think that's why I didn't do it because I was like, well, I don't know how much time I have to dedicate to this and I don't want to like. No, I'm pretty sure it's way through it. I'm pretty sure it's self-paced because huh. there's two options where you can either have like the online option to do it online, but you can also order the books in print. Oh, okay. So I don't think that there's any time limit on it. Cool. Hmm something to consider (laughs) again, (laughs) again. Yeah. Again, we've talked about the Druids and how probably quite a few of us have 
pagan ancestors somewhere down the line in our family tree, but what are some ways that we could maybe incorporate some Druid flavored magic into our practice? Yeah, good question. As we've said, ancient Druids, they were many things to many different people. They were doctors, teachers, advisors, priests, diviners, strategists, warriors, Um, And you can study everything from astrology to herbalism and Celtic forms of divination, and you would be connecting with the ancient Druids. Mm -hmm. You could even be advising your friends and family on major decisions, and you would be tapping into Druidic magic. Oh, cool. I do that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the best thing to do is to take some of the mentioned disciplines and practices in this podcast and incorporate them into your daily practice. I think that the divination is a really good one Mm -hmm. now, not divining, you know, in trails and stuff, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but that like the augury or the the birds. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Ogum fuse. That's another one Mm -hmm. that the Druids were really big into or casting a lot. So like charm throwing or bone throwing, which a lot of this stuff crosses a lot of cultural right boundaries too. So I already have like a little charm bag that I use, not as much as I should, but I do use it sometimes for divination purposes. So if you're already doing stuff like that, then you kind of are already tapping into this. Yes. And hmm. another thing that they were really big about is yeah. animals. Yeah. Um, animals were super big in the druidic world. Mm-hmm. Um, so connecting with animal spirits, I would say, is another good way to incorporate some druidic magic in there. Yeah. Oh, you know what I just thought of too? If you want to kind of go the bard way, then mm-hmm. learn how to write and be a storyteller and maybe even make music and tell your stories through music. Right. Exactly. Hmm, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. I love, I love this topic actually. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've always been interested in the Druids. It's definitely a mysterious topic. And like you said, there's not a whole lot of concrete info out there, but I think you've done a really good job at presenting this to our listeners. Thanks. You're yeah. You can tell I'm excited about the topic from the way that I've put it together, I guess. And Alora, before we talk about the resources for people to explore, do you have druids in your ancestry that you know of? Yeah. At least I think he was one. I don't know. Yeah. So can you, you don't have to tell them exactly who it is, but can you just walk listeners? Like how might they be able to find that information if they're looking in their family tree? Well, what you do is you get a best <laughs> friend whose specialty is looking for magical ancestors. Oh, crud. All right. True that. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> because I don't, hey, look, you're far more talented at that stuff than I am. Uh, so yeah, like I knew about him, but I didn't know that he was that, <laughs> I guess. So I guess the easiest way we could say this is if you have... Now, unfortunately, it's not as easy if you have like Gaulish um, ancestry, meaning like French blood. Mm. 
But if you have known Irish ancestry specifically, Hmm. it's easier to trace back by specifically by last name. So let's say your last name is O'Connor. Let's say you're, you're, there's an O'Connor familial name in your family tree. What you would do is literally look up the O'Connor clan's history and even mm. the meaning of the name. And a lot of the time you'll find that that name is linked to a legendary hero or even sometimes a god or a goddess or a saint, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then I think this is what happened in your case. If then you need to dig a little bit more into that saint, because a lot of the saints were originally, not all of them, but a lot of them might have had pagan origins, meaning. Right. Or were real people. Right. Exactly. Meaning that saint may have once been a druid. (laughs) Yes. And in your case, that's kind of how you figured it out, right? Yeah. So like I said, like I did the whole looking up my Irish surname, kind of tracing it back, Mm -hmm. figuring out this particular hero and then linking it to some saints and then finding out that they were druids. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. And, and that's the cool thing about if you're lucky enough to have, if you're lucky enough luck of the Irish <laughs> to have an Irish last name, there's a lot of information on Irish names and the clans. And some of the clans even claim descent from gods and goddesses, which is pretty cool too. When you get into yeah, it. Yeah. And I think I just went to you to be like, I have all these things, but what does it mean? <laughs> Help me. <laughs> it is a lot. You could go down the rabbit hole with all this stuff for a long time. And yeah, but it's interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what about if people want to explore more about Druidry and, and the Druids themselves, where would they go? Yeah. So one place I would recommend is ancient texts. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have, they actually have some texts on there, the religion of the ancient Celts by J.A. McCullough, which was written in 1911. Yeah. That is Um, a great site actually for a lot of different resources. Yes. Agreed. Uh, going to the order of bards, Oves and Druids is another good place for not only Neo-Druidry, but they also have a lot of information about like the ancient Druids, um, Mm -hmm. particularly their story. Oh, cool. You can actually learn quite a bit there. Yeah. Uh, Also, there's, I have a whole bunch of, actually, I think that when we publish this episode, we're definitely going to be putting some links in the show notes so that everybody check it out. Uh, Because I can do that. Like, I have, I have a heap of links, but I can't just be like, okay, so you can go to www.this and people are going <laughs> to be writing like their hands are on fire. So I'll just say that, uh, yes, there's a bunch of links here, um, that have everything to do with the ancient Druids and Celtic divination and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. And even false facts that everybody believes about the Druids. That's interesting to check out. Well, and you also wrote an article for Otherworldly Oracle. I did. And a lot of this information like came from that article. 
for sure. Okay, cool. So we can include include that too in the description box for people. Yes. Yes. And just so I don't know about you, but I like snag things off of otherworldly Oracle to put into my book of shadows. Oh, cool. So I just, I keep it for myself, but I, but I snag articles and I'm like, Ooh, this is so good. So I'm flattered. So if anybody out there is like really into Druidry and you'd like to like copy the article that I wrote for your own use, totally fine. Okay. Print. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Cool. All right. I think we can wrap it up. Okay. We would like to extend our deepest gratitude for our listener support, whether you're new or returning. Bless us with some of your magical energy. Subscribe to and review the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. Be sure to check out Alora's website at alorarain.com for tarot readings, numerology, and soul origin profiles. If you're looking for a witchy show on the racier side, subscribe to our shadow podcast, Namir's Well, now on your preferred podcast app. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae, or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.